Hi everyone, welcome to Ask the Horse Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of thehorse.com. Tonight's topic is saddle fit, basics and beyond. We have received hundreds of questions on this topic. It is challenging for us horse owners. With so many options, it's hard to know what to do that's right for your horse. Dr. Jennifer Stouffer on the line to help us out and sort through some of that confusion. Yes, so my veterinary career has evolved 13 years and I'm particularly interested in wellness, longevity, and soundness in horses. Uh, in my practice, I utilize spinal manipulation and various techniques including myofascial release to help keep my patients healthy. So I realized, as everyone else has, that a critical component to manage this. And I wanted to learn whatever I my clients. So I found Mike Scott in South Carolina several years back, and Mike Scott independent saddle fitting school. Uh, and I, I decided to take Mike Scott's course and learn about saddle fitting. Uh, Mike Scott's a massage therapist and body worker as well. Uh, and he also teaches flocking and how to refit saddles, not just how to evaluate the saddles, but how to, how to affect and change their fit as well. So I finished Mike Scott's course, and then I just kind of began this journey in saddle fitting and have traveled throughout the United States and, and Europe, spending quite a bit of time in the UK and in Canada, soaking up every little bit of knowledge that I could about saddle fitting, saddle design, manufacturing. Uh, so that I could try to wrap my head around this uh, science that's also quite an art form in practice. So, so how much? Me. So how much of your practice is spent saddle fitting versus treating horses as a vet? I would say that it has developed currently to probably be about fifty percent saddle fitting. It could be a hundred percent saddle fitting if that's what I wanted to do, but I really like to maintain a balance and perspective uh, as a veterinarian as well. Uh, so it's always, a, it's always a struggle to figure out how to balance those two things to, to be the best at both. Everyone who is listening, we did receive hundreds of questions for tonight's event. Um, I went through and I read all of them. I tried to pick out the ones that were going to cover the most, uh, ask questions the most. So hang on and listen and see if we get to a question that's at least similar to yours. And um, during the hour, it's not a, it's not enough time to get to hundreds of questions. But we're going to try to get as much information about saddle fit out there to you because I know as a horse owner, it's super confusing and having someone like Dr. Stouffer to answer questions is really a great resource. As you're listening live, you can go ahead and send us questions uh, in your chat console. Go ahead and do that. We do have our managing editor, Alex, is reading those and sending those on to us during our conversation. But Dr. Stouffer, let's go ahead and get started with the questions that were sent in ahead of time. Um, our first one okay. is for Lori, Lori in Tennessee, and Lori wants to know, what is the best method for fitting a dressage saddle and knowing whether or not it's a good fit for both your horse and the rider? Well, that's a good question. I always recommend establishing a relationship with a reputable saddle fitter in your area whenever possible. And hopefully the saddle fitter can meet with you one-on-one -on -one and evaluate your horse and saddle in person. Uh, that's not always an option in the more remote areas. Uh, and in some cases, you have to establish the same good relationship with a saddle fitter by distance. 
who can help you via tracing, photos, uh, and telephone consults. So how, what are some of the things that make a good fit for horse and rider? And we're going to be talking a lot about horses, about fitting the horses over the next hour, but I found that when I was saddle shopping, it was almost as hard to find something to fit me as it was to fit my horses. So what are the qualities that make a saddle a good match for a rider? Well, I think that in order to figure out your own body and your your needs and sometimes limitations, you have to start trying a lot of saddles. Uh, it's really difficult. There, there are certain things. We can say, yes, you have a long femur. You have a small seat. Uh, I think that you need to be in this seat range, or I think that a shorter knee block might be better. But there are a lot of qualities that you have to feel to know for yourself. And trying as many saddles as possible and trying to articulate with somebody that understands how those saddles are made, what you're feeling and what works well for you uh, is the most helpful. If you can find a saddle fitter or a shop that has dozens of saddles that you can sit in and start to say, well, this, this saddle feels like this and the twist and my leg hangs this way uh, and the knee block feels like this and that changes when the seat changes, a good saddle fitter will start to understand what you need out of the saddle. So I, have, when I was saddle shopping, I would get online and I would look at different forums and different discussions about saddle fit, and the term twist comes up a lot when referring to the yeah. rider. What does that mean? Because I couldn't quite figure it out, and what, and I couldn't oh. figure out what was comfortable for me between a wide twist and a narrow one. The, the twist is a little bit of a vague term that means something different to to different people. I like to think of the twist as the area, the crotch area of the saddle, the area between your thighs, uh, and where the front part of your pelvis lies. You know, we have our ischial tuberosities, our seat bone sits on the back of the saddle, and that part of the seat is important. Some people are wider and some people are narrower, but the twist is the area in front, in the crotch area, in the front of your pelvis. And, you know, a lot of people these days think that they want a narrow twist, and, and what a narrow twist is to one person, it may not be to another person. And I think that that's a, an area of confusion, and uh, I think that, like I said before, sitting in a lot of saddles and talking about how the twist area feels to you can help a knowledgeable saddle fitter direct you towards the right saddle. The, the other thing that I'd like to say about the twist is that you know, it's dictated by how the seat is made, how the seat is webbed, but also the shape of the tree in the crotch area for the rider. And having a narrow twist that's made narrow by the tree being narrow underneath you in that region affects how the saddle fits the horse. So it's important, it's an important discussion to have with your saddle fitter when they're looking at your horse and listening to you articulate what feels right for you so that you're making an educated choice based on what's going to work the best for your horse as well as what's comfortable for you. So our next question is from Catherine in Louisiana and she would like you to discuss proper position for saddle placement and how it may affect fit. So where should the saddle sit on the horse's back? Well, this is a generalization that holds true in most cases. Generally, a saddle should sit behind the shoulders so that you have roughly three fingers, uh, uh, 
clearing the space between the back of the scapula and the saddle's tree point. And so there can be leather and panel in that space, but we like for there to be approximately three fingers between the back of the scapula and the saddle's tree point, the rigid part of the tree. However, each horse can have unique anatomy, and that affects where the saddle sits and whether the saddle will move once you're riding. The girth line is an important consideration as the horse's natural girth line will dictate the, the position of the billet and whether they're hanging straight or at an angle, which in turn affects the movement of the saddle as you're riding. Uh, so sometimes in spite of our best intentions, we really can want the saddle to sit in one place and the horse's uh, anatomy will put the saddle in another place. And that's another, it, it's important to understand those factors. So our next question is from Jacqueline in Oregon, and Jacqueline wants to know, how do you know if the saddle fits a horse's withers correctly? So can you talk to us a little bit about the channel and how wide the saddle should be to clear the withers in the spine? Sure. I think that that's, it's really a hard question to generalize. Probably the most important take-home message from this is that you must have vertical wither clearance. The saddle cannot be touching the withers with the rider mounted. Uh, and it's important to check that with the rider up and to be able to be sure that you can discern that through whatever padding you have under the saddle. You must have vertical clearance. Now, horizontal clearance side to side uh, around the withers is a little trickier to put an objective measurement on because horses have very different shaped withers. And for a horse with, with a tall, long wither, you're using the base of the wither to help stabilize the saddle and you're going to have a different relationship between the front of the saddle and the withers on a on a tall narrow withered horse versus a low mutton withered horse so if spinal clearance is an important thing you don't want to feel like the saddle is pinching or impinging uh, but that gets a little bit trickier on a high withered horse uh, to balance the saddle and to distribute pressure properly Stephanie is in Michigan and she wants to know when you're purchasing a saddle without your horse present, what measurements should you have to select the proper saddle? Well, first, uh, I would like to say that I don't recommend ever purchasing a saddle that you can't return without trying it in person on your horse. Uh, I would say that you can take measurements into a tack shop or send them off by mail to help make some good basic uh, kind of starting place decisions about the width and the shape of the horse and generalizations, but that doesn't replace trying it on the horse. And, you know, I can have 50 saddles in a saddle trailer and have a really good idea of which saddle I want to put on each horse, uh, and they still can prove you wrong. So I just I don't think it's a wise thing to buy a saddle without trying it on your horse first. I know when I've gone through the saddle shopping experience that I have spent a lot of time and money shipping saddles back and forth and back and forth. Um, I think up to nine saddles for one horse. Is it Should people consider the shipping and trying of saddles as, as part of their overall budget when they're saddle shopping? Sure, if you don't have access to a saddle fitter that has a, you know, or a tax shop with a large number, number of saddles, you basically need multiple saddles with your horse, along with someone knowledgeable who can interpret how they're fitting, how the horse is responding, uh, 
and figuring out how to get your horse, the saddles, and the professional all in the same place at the same time is an important is an important part of this process. We have a question from Carol in Florida, and she says she has a retired racehorse who is very cinchy. She said she's looking for some answers to prevent the drama during saddling. What thoughts do you have as a vet and a saddle fitter on horses that are cinchy or uncomfortable when you're saddling them? Well, I would say I've learned a lot about this in the last few years as I've started incorporating more acupuncture into my uh, veterinary practice and as my knowledge uh, regarding saddle trees and girth fitting has has developed. So the first thing that I would say is that we want to rule out that the girth itself is actually causing any problems. You want to make sure there aren't any uh, rigid pressure points or buckles or areas that the girth is pinching. Uh, and, and you should be able to sort that out pretty well on your own. Uh, there's also the possibility that when the girth is tightened up that it pulls down on the front of the saddle, and if the horse is sore in that in the you know area under the front half of the saddle, the girthing process can can pinch those sore muscles. I see a lot of horses that that have properly fitted girths and properly fitted saddles and are still very sensitive along the girth line. And what I've learned over over the last few years developing the acupuncture component of my practice is that. Horses can have pain patterns from other areas of their body that manifest in the girth line. One example of this would be foot pain. A lot of horses with heel pain will have girth line pain. And I think that we need to, we need to really consider this as a possibility when we're kind of ruling out potential causes for girth line sensitivity. And involving your veterinarian, you know, it would be a good idea if you've ruled out, you know, direct pain from girthing your saddle fit. It, I think then it's time to start looking for other causes of pain that could be contributing to girth line sensitivity. So we have a question from our live audience. Kimberly is listening, and she wants to know about different sweat patterns. She says, I've heard different things about different sweat patterns under the saddle. Is there a right or a wrong sweat pattern to have? Are any dry spots okay? And so, Dr. Stouffer, we got a lot of these types of questions about dry spots next to the withers. Yeah. or um, So what what is your experience with dry spots under a saddle? Well, you know, that's a complicated topic as well. You have to think first and foremost about the general shape of your horse. A horse that has uh, kind of a less developed or more angled top line, less musculature, high wither with wither pockets, those horses are going to potentially have areas where the panels of the saddle make less contact uh, with the horse's musculature versus a really broad back horse where you have more muscles contacting the panel surface, which will create that nice full sweat pattern that we're talking about. So think about your horse's body type, first of all. It's not uncommon to see some dryness at the area in the base of the withers behind the shoulder on many horses in many cases. And you have to think about why would you have dryness? So if you have so much pressure that you're shutting off the sweat glands and the horse is not sweating and that's why the horse's back is dry, you usually have significant pain, swelling, soreness to palpate 
uh, along with the dry spots. Most of us pick up on dry spots from lack of panel contact, and that can either be the shape of the tree in the panel, it can be that the flocking is compressed in, in that area, uh, and it's definitely worth investigating, but there are many cases where dry patches do not equal pathology in the horse's back. So we have a question from our live audience. Ashley is asking about dry spots as well. She said that they're dry after a light workout, but there are no dry spots after a hard, sweaty workout. Does this mean her saddle is fitting her horse? So in that case, is that yeah, maybe that's a, a saddle really that's not making point. contact? Yeah, that's a really good point because obviously the more a horse sweats, the more the sweat is going to fill in. So uh if, you're, if with more sweat those dry areas are filling in, then you do have contact, probably just a little less contact than in the other areas. So, you know, if the ambient temperature is higher or you have a harder workout, they're going to sweat more and you're going to see kind of a more honest reflection of panel contact. Uh, we have a question from Kaylin in Iowa, and Kaylin says that after a lunge line warm-up at the walk trot and walking under attack, her dressage warm blood often refuses to trot off than under saddle. Is it the saddle or is something else going on? Well, unfortunately, I think you have to take these on a case-by-case -case basis. It's really hard for me here without seeing the horse and seeing how the horse moves to interpret whether you might have one, a lameness issue going on, or two, a training issue. I think the important thing, and my favorite barns to work at, are the barns that view the support staff as a team, where the veterinarian, the farrier, the saddle fitter, the massage therapist, the chiropractor, all communicate and work together to help manage the horse's best interest. And this would be an example of a case that I would want input from everybody. I would want to know from the trainer, what do you know about this horse? What do you know about the horse's behavior? Does the horse behave the same way when you ride the horse as well as the client riding the horse? If you change the saddle, does the horse behave the same way? Uh, and then I would want to have a basic soundness evaluation. Uh, when a horse behaves differently on the lunge line versus under saddle, that can be a clue. Uh, that being ridden is uncomfortable, and, and that re really requires veterinary evaluation. Dr. Stouffer, I want to ask you, what are some of the common signs you see in horses who are uncomfortable with their saddle? Well, reluctance to go forward, uh, tail swishing, kicking out or bucking, uh, kind of cold back, uh, behavior where the back feels tight underneath you. Unfortunately, all of those things can also be described in a horse with lameness. So it's very difficult to separate those two things based on behavior without educated professionals confirming, yes, this saddle generally looks like it fits. Yes, this horse's back palpates well without any areas of soreness. Uh, and again, the uh, veterinary lameness evaluation. We have a question from Coral in Oregon, and Coral has a horse who, when she's lunging it, uh, the saddle will bounce up and down in the cantle or the back of the saddle. What are some of the causes of a saddle that bounces in the back? 
Well, I try to not evaluate the saddle fit extensively without the rider in the saddle because the way the horse's back moves, the nature of the gait changes with a rider in the saddle. Sometimes it changes dramatically. Uh, and also, saddles are meant, you know, the horse saddle rider interaction is based on a weighted saddle. So I definitely put consideration into a saddle that bounces excessively with a rider in the saddle, but I'm careful not to overinterpret that without a rider in the saddle. Okay. So it wouldn't automatically discredit that saddle as a saddle that, that actually fits that horse no. well. No, it wouldn't. We have a question from Sharon in Ohio, and Sharon wants to know about those kits that come with some saddles that help you measure the horse's width and pick out an adjustable gullet for the saddle. How accurate have you found those uh, in fitting horses? Well, I don't have any first-hand experience with those types of saddle fitting kits, so I should say that first, but I can talk about it in theory and assume that the kits are accurate. Uh, and that they're reflecting the measurement in the tree point area, like a wither tracing type of measurement. And, and I would assume that you're then basing your interchangeable gullet plate choice off of that wither area measurement. And in theory, that's a good idea. And I, I don't think that it's wrong to measure a horse that way. The thing to realize is that that's only one component of the 3D interplay between the saddle and the horse's back. That's one measurement and one thing that you can change. And you'll see a lot of horses that no matter which gullet plate you put in, the saddle still doesn't fit because the rest of the saddle shape is not a good shape for the horse. So uh, it's a valuable tool when the rest of the saddle fits the horse. Because then if the horse's wither uh, tracing changes, you can change the head plate. We have a question from Michael, and Michael operates a therapeutic riding center and occasionally receives donated custom saddles. He'd like to know how he can tell if these saddles are okay to use on the horses, first of all, um, whether they have a broken tree or not. And then he also wants to know if there are any particular concerns when a saddle is older but appears in good shape. And finally, how can you use those saddles on multiple horses in a program such as his? Okay. Well, the first thing, again, if, if at all possible, I would try to find a reputable saddle fitter to come and help. You, know, you can line up all of the saddles available with all of the horses. You can look at pad combinations. Uh, and write out a plan for each horse. This saddle with this girth with this plaid, check. And go through the line of horses and, and, you know, make the best choices from the saddles that you have. There certainly are saddles within brands that fit a larger variety of horse shapes than others. You know, kind of more saddles that fit a larger population of horses back conservatively. Uh, and you really have to talk to your saddle fitter to find out within the line of saddles that they know about which saddles might might work best for a large population of horses. Uh, again, no saddle is going to fit every horse. You're going to have a huge variety of body types, uh, but there certainly are, are some saddles that we can make fit more horses okay than others. Um, 
to touch on the how can I tell if the saddle is sound question, again, you really need somebody who's trained to look at the outside of the saddle to look for clues about soundness. Uh, you know, there we can look down the cantle to the pommel to try to look for any twist in the tree. We can look head on at the saddle to look for any torque in the in the front of the saddle. Uh, we like to look at the saddle panels are sewn on straight and are flocked evenly if they're flocked panels. Uh, not that you can always get this question answered, but if a horse has ever rolled on a saddle, there should be a serious question about soundness. Uh, oftentimes that necessitates taking the entire saddle apart and checking the tree square on the table to make sure that the horse didn't bend, uh, bend the metal in the head plate or break the tree. So it's probably a bigger, bigger job than someone's going to do on their own. And then what about fitting those horses to multiple different, or those saddles to multiple different horses? Well, I think you're going to have to have a selection of saddles, but I think it's possible to to work with a group of saddles on a larger number of horses and, and work out combinations that that are safe for those horses. And certainly having, so my preference, aside from brands, uh, in English saddle fitting, I like saddles with an adjustable head plate in the tree that can be adjusted multiple times to refit the same horse or fit a different horse. So especially those saddles that have warranties on the head plate for adjustment and that are flocked softly with natural wool. I think with those two combinations, you can work with a larger variety of shapes and types of horses and stand a chance of refitting the next horse before you have to move on to an entirely new saddle. So if you had the choice between a saddle that was too narrow or too wide for a horse, which direction would you prefer to go? Well, in general, I would pick a saddle that's a little bit too wide. If it's excessively wide, you can run into a whole host of other problems. But a saddle that is a little bit too wide can potentially be padded or shimmed to balance out and, and fit the horse without creating severe pressure points. But a saddle that's too narrow is almost always too too tight and can create pressure points. Uh, we have a question from Desna in Nevada. And Desna wants to know if there is any research or if you have any input about saddle blanket material, maybe wool versus synthetic or some of the different options that we have on the market. What, what are your thoughts on those? about saddle pads under the saddle, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. So... The, there's one published study uh, that, and I, I uh, pulled out the reference here, in the Equine Veterinary Journal, March 2010, uh, performed by researchers in Europe, called The Effects of Different Saddle Pads on the Forces and Pressure Distribution Beneath a Fitting Saddle. And they looked at gel, leather, foam, and reindeer fur, and basically, you know, tested all of those materials for maximum pressure and pressure distribution under a saddle that fits. And they showed that only the reindeer fur decreased maximum overall force under the saddle. So we don't have a lot of reindeer fur in the United States. And I think no. that most saddle fitters who have read that article like to extrapolate that data to sheepskin. Uh, we do have a lot of sheepskin. And uh, my personal preference would be sheepskin. Skin, felt, 
natural cottons, uh, dense but thin natural fibers under a saddle. Um, and I've done my own unpublished uh, little research uh, conducted in my barn. I have a pressure testing system that I imported from Germany, and I love to play with different pads and test, uh, you know, different materials and thickness and inserts versus no inserts. Uh, none of that data is published, but it's definitely helped me form my own personal preferences uh, in saddle fitting towards those materials that I described. Mm -hmm. So the more the more natural type materials. Yeah. The other thing I'd like to say again, this is unpublished personal data. I tend to prefer uh, saddle pads that have a channel down the middle, and that especially pertains to sheepskin. And having a space between the two sides of the sheepskin on the saddle pad allows for increased spinal clearance, both both vertically and horizontally. Uh, and I think that that's almost always a really good thing. Okay. We have a question from our live audience. Uh, Robin wants to know if treeless saddles fit horses better or worse than saddles with trees, and what fit problems might you have with a treeless saddle? Well, again, I don't have a lot of first-hand experience with treeless saddles. There, There is some published work that was done looking at pressure under treeless saddles that showed that in some treeless saddles, there's a tendency for collapse to occur under the weight of the rider, which would uh, create pressure under a smaller weight-bearing surface than a properly fitted treed saddle. And I guess, you know, in my mind, I tend to agree with that. I think there are exceptions. I think really round horses with light riders uh, will do better than horses with really prominent spine and an angled back and a heavier rider, the tree tends to act as a buffer between the padding under the saddle, the panels, and the weight of a rider. And I know that a lot of treeless saddles are continually working on these designs to try to prevent that from happening, uh, but I'm probably not the person to present any, any new data on that topic for you. We have a question from our live audience. Uh, Gaia wants to know, at what age can you safely assume that a horse has stopped growing or will, or will a variation in activity and exercise mean that you will always need to monitor saddle fit? So I think what she's asking is, is their back going to keep changing and are we going to have to keep buying new saddles for our horses? Horses' backs will always change. They will Oh, and that is one of the surest things in life, and it is so frustrating, but it is such a real phenomenon. And I work on backyard horses, I work on very highly managed performance horses, and all of those horses' backs change significantly throughout the year. Uh, significantly. There was a research project that came out of England in the last year or so where a grad student looked at properly fitted saddles, meaning the tree, the trees fit the horses, the saddles fit the horses, and they looked at the difference between a properly fitted saddle and a saddle that didn't fit as well, and they measured the horses back before and after exercise and showed that with a properly fitted saddle, the horses' back muscles could expand significantly, enough that you could even consider it would warrant a small tree adjustment just with the blood filling the muscles properly with exercise. 
so it leaves more questions than answers. The back is a very dynamic thing. It's always changing. Conditions change. Uh, seed change. Season change. You know, pasture turnout changes. Uh, workload. There are sport horses that change the posture of their body, and it can affect the shape of their back. Uh, so that's a long answer. But the short answer is the horse's back will always change, and we will always need to revisit saddle fit. Okay. So with that in mind, Andrea in California has asked, in what cases can a pad or a pad with shims be used to effectively help the saddle fit better rather than having to replace the saddle, especially if replacing the saddle really isn't a financial option for, for the owner? Well, the, the first example I could think of is if the, if the saddle generally fits okay, but the panels are hard, you know, not soft and uh, shock absorbing with nice soft wool, then a pad can really be used to kind of provide more cushion and shock absorption and comfort for the horse. And uh, I think that can be a great thing. Uh, the other example that I can think of is if the saddle is a little bit too wide for the horse, not severely wide, but a little bit too wide, then sometimes a sheepskin pad or a pad with front shims can be used to fill in that uh, extra width in the front of the saddle, rebalance the saddle, and keep it from tipping forward uh, without creating uh, abnormal pressure points. So we have a question also about changing backs and horses. Ellen in California is asking about horses that are becoming more sway-backed with age or are losing muscle over their back with age. What recommendations do you have for her horse, specifically a quarter horse, who has high withers because of a sway-back but has a round barrel still that is typical of his breed? What kind of saddle options does she have to keep her horse comfortable? Well, the aging horse is a, is a tricky thing. You know, usually the back drops lower with gravity, and the back will effectively become more curved front to back uh, longitudinally. And that's where understanding the shape of the tree inside the saddle can be really helpful to minimize pressure points. Um, obviously, the shape of the panels matter as well. With a, with a horse whose back is dropping, thinking that you would want a little more curve in the tree front to back, uh, would be reasonable. In a broader back horse, you could think about the panel interface and whether the, the panels are the same shape as the broadness of the horse's back. So uh, are the panels flat and broad and match the horse's top line medially to laterally along the muscles of the spine? And again, that's a tricky, it's a tricky saddle fit scenario and one where I think the help of a professional would be useful. In a flock saddle, you also stand a chance of rearranging the wool flocking front to back to help with the dip in the back uh, as well. So another plug for, for flock saddles there. And Dr. Stouffer, um, you were talking earlier about the study with the, the reindeer for uh, saddle blankets, and uh, my helpers have gone and searched some articles that we have on thehorse.com about that research. Uh, if you're listening and are interested in it, you can go to thehorse.com slash 23944. Again, that's 23944. It's thehorse.com. Um, or we have another study referring to the reindeer fur 
at as a saddle pad and that's at the horse.com slash two seven seven three one and I'll say that number again two seven seven three one I know those are really interesting articles that go in depth on, on those studies that you that you mentioned Dr. Stouffer and um, our next question is from Mary in Arizona and she wants to know in what cases shouldn't you worry about white hairs that have formed on either side of the the withers under the saddle? When you shouldn't worry about them? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, sometimes we inherit horses that have white hairs. And the white hair is reflective of damage to the hair follicle that could have occurred at any point prior in the horse's life. Another really important consideration, uh, and sometimes this is in a horse that, that you have owned since the white hairs have formed, would be the season in which you're noticing the white hairs. Uh, if you have a horse and you haven't changed anything to do with saddle fitting in the saddle this year and the saddle fits well, and all of a sudden the horse is growing in their winter hair coat and you're noticing white hairs, you know, alarm bells can be ringing, you know, what's happening with my saddle. The thing to think about if the horse is not sore in that area, you're not noticing any pathology, what happened at this time last year in the era, in that area on the horse. And sometimes you'll be able to connect the dots and realize, oh, well, I had this other saddle and it wasn't fitting very well, but I've changed it since then. And sometimes those white hairs don't show up until the following, the next year's hair growth. Uh, and that can, that, can, that can be tricky. So we are getting a lot of follow-up questions about the swayback horses. So I want to return to that topic a little bit sure. because I do have one of my horses has started to sway actually quite a bit um, and his dam was the same way uh, in her mid-teens started getting a sway back. Um, and he has what um, what I would describe as a banana back where it's kind of scooped yeah. down and saddles tend to bridge both my western saddles and my English saddles bridge on him and he gets especially uncomfortable with uh, the English saddles bridging. What can we do to help horses that have this bridging and actually could you explain to everyone what bridging is in a saddle if they haven't experienced that firsthand? Sure. So I would consider bridging to be a lack of contact through the middle portion of the saddle where the saddle is resting on the front part of the set or the saddle is making contact with the horse's back in the front and the back of the saddle with less contact in the middle. And, you know, bridging gets a really, you know, bridging can become kind of a shock word and it's important to realize there are degrees of bridging. Uh, there are some times in a horse standing in the cross ties with their you know, back not warmed up, that a very mild amount of bridging where you run your hand under the saddle panel from front to back and you notice just a little less contact through the middle but not through the back. But then you see the horse go under saddle and the back fills up, it comes into the panel and you realize that that bridging assessment was probably really just a, an inaccurate static assessment and that's why we always like to look at horses moving under saddle so that we can see how their back moves in relation to the saddle. Uh, so that's my first little uh, disclaimer with bridging. Uh, there is a degree of bridging that, that really isn't acceptable and that I don't feel can really be or shouldn't be corrected with shims or flocking or, or modifying the saddle fit. You know, if you're seeing daylight under the middle of the saddle, 
that's too much bridging. And it really probably reflects an inappropriate tree or panel choice for your horse. Sometimes it's too much saddle, right? On big western saddles, on a short-backed or curvy, dippy-backed horse, sometimes there's just so much saddle that the saddle can't sit down in the proper weight-bearing area of the back, and so it's going to bridge. So we have to think about saddle size as well. Is the length of the saddle inhibiting it from sitting down on the proper weight-bearing area of the back? So I have a horse... My young horse has a very short back, um, and I had an especially difficult time finding a Western saddle for her. I ended up going yeah. with an Arabian type saddle for her um, because yeah. it's, she's so, so short. And so I ride in my dressage saddle, um, I ride in an 18-inch saddle. How can you tell if a saddle is too long for your horse's back? Because that's something that's been concerning me sure. with my dressage saddle on her. Well, I like to think... Ideally, we like to distribute the pressure from the saddle and rider on the muscles that lie in front of the 18th, uh, the last rib of the back, right? So sometimes on a very short back horse, there's not enough room in front of the last rib to carry the rider in the saddle. And we end up thinking about creative ways to fit a saddle on the horse's back beyond the last rib. And that's, again, where understanding the shape of the tree and the design of the saddle is really helpful because on those short-backed horses, I'll often put a saddle whose tree curves up behind where I know that the last point of pressure contact is really under the rider's feet bones, and from that point caudally, the tree sweeps up in the back and or the panels sweep up in the back so that if the saddle does have to extend past the last rib, we know that there's not. Oh, are you still there? Yep, I'm still yep, here. I are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Uh, that, that we know that if the saddle extends beyond the last rib, that we're really not creating a pressure problem in that area. Okay. So with sense? my... Yeah, and with my short-backed little horse, she, um, you know, I went... With the Western saddle, I ended up with the Arab-type saddle, like I described, and then I started looking into different saddles for a dressage saddle for her, and uh, the term hoop tree came up a lot in association with horses that have a, a more uh, quote-unquote Arab-type back. Can you describe what a hoop tree is for, for people who might be interested oh, in that? Sure. In my mind, uh, the definition of a hoop tree is more relevant to the front shape of the tree of the saddle. Uh, you know, the traditional English thoroughbred saddles, when you looked at the bare trees, they were shaped kind of like a keyhole or an A-frame in the front. And if you think about the horses that they were originally designed for, thoroughbreds have kind of an A-frame keyhole wither shape. So we're, we have a lot, a lot more variety in our riding horse types. And in an effort to fit some of the broader horses, uh, these uh, quote-unquote hoop trees have been designed, and they look more like an upside-down U uh, versus an A or a keyhole shape. And it's meant to help distribute the pressure in the front of the saddle over a larger area. So if you're thinking about kind of a mutton-withered, round-backed horse, you're going to, they're going to be more comfortable in an upside-down U shape than a keyhole or an A-frame gullet shape. Uh, so I think about 
the term hoop tree more as it relates to the front part of the saddle. Something that I thought about as you were saying that that I hadn't mentioned, uh, many companies now are making short panels or pony panels, and that it relates to the length of panel in the back of the saddle, so from the cancel and beyond. I'm sure we've all seen the, the modern dressage saddles that kind of have these big kind of fish-tailed panels out the back, and on our shorter back horses, kind of lopping off that last little bit of fishtail can create a much shorter saddle that can fit on a shorter back horse without creating pressure in the loin. So that's a modification that can be done uh, on many brands of new saddles, and it's a, it's a possibility as a post-manufacturing modification on some saddles as well. So we have a question from Helen in South Africa, and Helen says that although her horse does not appear uncomfortable, her saddle slips forward when she rides. In fact, she says both saddles that she has for this, this horse do this. Uh, is this a problem, or could it cause a problem? And what does a saddle slipping forward potentially mean for how it fits the horse? This is a great, great question, and I think in the future, we're going to hear a lot more about girth fitting uh, and girth design, girth research. Uh, I think girth fitting is probably just as important as saddle fitting. And in a lot of cases, saddle slipping forward is related to the girth line in horses. When you put your saddle on your horse's back and you look at how the billets hang, we want the billets to hang vertically. Now, billets can be positioned onto a saddle in different places, uh, and that relates to girth fit. But if you look at your saddle girthed up on your horse's back, and you put your saddle in the proper place behind the shoulders, and you girth up the saddle, if your billets are hanging at an angle slanting forward towards the horse's forelimbs, more times than not, as you ride, that saddle will pull forward towards the horse's shoulders. And especially if you try a lot of saddles and your saddles always like to pull forward on your horses uh, up over the shoulders or sliding up the neck, take a look at your billet angle. And if your billets are angled forward, then really probably you have a girth fitting issue more than you have a saddle fitting issue, assuming your billets have been uh, attached to your saddle in the ideal position. Uh, and I think really moving forward, Having multiple girth options to fit with the saddle in varying degrees of uh, forward position is really going to be the way that we head. Hmm, uh, so I would be suspicious there that, that she may have a girth fitting issue rather than a saddle fitting issue. Now there are things that can exacerbate that forward movement. If a saddle is too wide, a lot of times it's a little less stable and it will slide forward more easily. We have some horses that don't have a lot of definition behind the back of the shoulder, uh, you know, behind the back of the shoulder blade to the soft tissue on the back, and those horses just don't have the kind of stability locked in behind the shoulder that another shape of horse would have. So there are factors that can all kind of pile up and contribute to more saddle movement forward, but usually for me, the most important key to managing that problem is a properly fitted girth. So 
Uh, can you explain a little bit about uh, the term point billet? Because that's something that I came across when sure. I was looking for uh, saddles to not slide forward on one of my horses that had a tendency yeah. to have saddles slide forward on her. So a point billet is a billet that is attached to the tree point. That's where the term point comes from. So the billet has been attached to the front of the tree on the tree point and hangs down either in a pocket at the very front of the saddle flap or sometimes exits a little rear slit uh, coming down the saddle flap in an effort to help the billet lie straight on a horse with a normal to forward girth line. Uh, and that, that is in comparison to billets that are attached to the middle of the saddle tree. So a lot of manufacturers will have three and four different billeting options and, and billets can often be modified post-manufacturing by a by a qualified saddler as well. And we have a follow-up question, Dr. Stouffer, uh, from Candace in our live audience, and she wants to know how you determine which billets you should use if you have multiple billets on your saddles. Should you use the first and the third, the first and the second, etc.? Uh, what are your recommendations on that? Again, I think you have to look at the anatomy of the horse's girth line. So. Put your saddle on, look at where the billets are hanging, take a step back and look at where the horse's natural girth groove is. Most horses are normal to forward. Every once in a while we have a horse with really caudal, uh, a really caudal girth groove and that horse is going to have a whole different uh, girth fitting scenario. And some of those horses, their saddles scoop backwards. So eyeball the billet line with your horse's girth line then attach your girth and look at how your girth affects the billet position. And that will help you visually imagine where you might rather have the billet slide. So we have a question from Karen in Indiana, and she wants to know how often should she have the fit of her saddle checked? What are your recommendations? Well, I mean, that's a... That's a really variable thing, depending on the type of work and use uh, of the horse, uh, also your vicinity to a saddle fitter, uh, you have to think about how frequently could the horse change. I mean, the horse can change seasonally. The horse can change monthly. Uh, I had a little project that I did. There was a teenage horse that came into training with a trainer in my area, and the horse didn't have the best fitting saddle, and the trainer had the luxury of fitting a new saddle to that mare where we could set the tree exactly to the horse's measurements, block it how we liked. And I went back and checked that saddle fit every two weeks for several go-arounds. That horse changed pretty much a full tree size in a positive direction, muscle growth, every time I checked that horse. Uh, you have to think about, is the, is the work changing? Is the nutrition changing? Are the seasons or management changing? And all of those things could necessitate a recheck. So in the real world, how often? I have clients that have me check once a year. I have clients that have me check twice a year. I have clients that have me check almost monthly. Usually those monthly clients are also my acupuncture clients, my body work clients, and we're just doing little brief rechecks. But what that allows us to do is not have the change be so, so significant. For example, the person that calls me out once a year, that may be a really big saddle adjustment. The person that has me look every month or two months or three months, 
we may be able to make little changes in the soft wool flocking that keeps that saddle fitting. And if you think about it, that's really probably the best thing for the horse uh, to not have to go through that mismatch to dramatic refit. Uh, so when you have the luxury of having a good local saddle fitter, see if you can't work out a program to have the saddle fit or at least rechecked as often as is realistically possible. So we have a question from our live audience. Cheryl has a horse that's overweight right now, and she says who's really overweight, and that none of the saddles currently fit the horse. She wants to know if it's worth trying to find a new saddle to use in the meantime while she's working on helping this horse lose weight. What thoughts do you have on getting a overweight horse in shape under saddle? Well, I mean, ideally, if you could get the horse a little more fit and in ideal body condition, uh, in hand, on the lunge, in long lines, that would prevent you from potentially running the risk of fitting a saddle now that can't be refit later. Uh, I mean, a lot of our saddles these days with the adjustable head plates and wool flocking can really be refit quite a bit, but it's never a guarantee. I mean, if the horse really changes dramatically, there's the possibility that the horse may need a new saddle. Uh, if you're going to ride a horse, I think you owe that horse a saddle that fits when you're riding the horse. So you can't expect that a horse is going to develop a good top line, use their body correctly, uh, encourage proper biomechanics when your saddle fits poorly. So the thing that's the most fair to the horse is either find a saddle that fits now or develop a conditioning program that doesn't involve riding the horse if you, if you don't have a saddle that fits. We have another question from our live audience. Uh, Jessica wants to know when you're fitting a saddle to a horse and you're watching the rider on the horse in the saddle, how do you address or how can you tell if maybe it's the rider's uh, ability level versus the saddle causing problems for the sure. horse? That's a really important consideration. Whenever possible, I try to involve trainers with saddle fit appointments. Uh, I have a really good relationship with a lot of our local trainers, and they help coordinate saddle fit appointments with the clients, and whenever possible, they're present. Uh, and then you like to look at the saddle with both the trainer and the rider for just that reason. A lot of times, I'll pull out my phone and video the rider riding. Uh, you know, a lot of times, we don't get to see ourselves riding, so when there's any question about that, it's nice to have video comparison between the owner and the trainer, and if a problem disappears when the trainer gets on, it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, we have a question from Deb in Washington, um, and Deb wants to know about fitting a dressage saddle to a mule. And I know in your area, Dr. Stouffer, there are several uh, upper-level mules that are competing. Yep. Is this something that you've run into? It is. It, it's a tricky thing, but I always approach every novel appointment the same way. You, you know, I try to have a picture of the horse's back in my mind. I take tracings, uh, and then I try to think about the trees inside the saddles. I think understanding the 3D shape of the tree inside of a saddle, you have the best chance of understanding why that saddle fits or doesn't fit and what the horse is responding to when they give you feedback. So 
I would look at the mule's back. I would think about the saddles I have access to. Uh, I would fit the tree, and we would go from there. And then you have to look at how does the mule use its back, what happens dynamically. Uh, the girth placement and padding can, again, be important. Uh, but it is a little bit trial and error based on educated, uh, educated guessing. Well, Dr. Stouffer, we've run out of time. <laughs> I just looked at the time and realized that, that we are um, about a minute from being done. But I want to thank you for joining us tonight and answering all these questions. Um, I know we have a ton more questions that we didn't get to. Uh, if you go to thehorse.com, if you're listening and you have saddle fit questions, uh, go ahead and do a search on our website. We have a lot of really recent uh, resources that, that we think will be able to help you out and then you can look uh, in the future for more saddle fit uh, content on thehorse.com. Thank you everyone for joining us live tonight for sending in your questions and once again thank you Dr. Stouffer for, for joining us and taking the time to answer these questions. You're very welcome. And from everyone here at the horse and thehorse.com thank you for joining us and we hope you'll join us next time.